Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Don't you guys love those awkward pauses? Like in America, we've learned that you, you can't have an awkward pause like you watch television or radio. There's never an awkward pause, and if there ever is, you're like, we need to fire that guy. <laughs> but there's something about life. I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but life has some serious awkward pauses. You ever notice that? Like I've noticed that a lot, that, that just in life in general, you're, you're talking to somebody, and there should be a certain response, and there isn't. And you're like, you know, you want to try to help them. You want to try to tell them what to do socially, like kind of help them out, out socially, but it doesn't always work out that way. So today we're going to talk about relationships, and you're going to see oftentimes that relationships can be super awkward. Um, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't been in an authentic relationship, you've been in one of the fake ones. <laughs> so I want to encourage you that if you are feeling like, you know what, I don't know if I know if I'm doing relationships right because sometimes it just seems awkward. Um, let me help you. Um, you're doing it exactly right because it's supposed to be awkward. It's also supposed to be messy. Like, how many of you guys have ever been in a messy relationship? <laughs> the rest of you guys, you've been in a messy relationship and everybody else knows it even if you don't know it, right? So I just want to be clear about that. I want to start this morning um, as we kind of do this series, continue this series called Authentic Relationships. Um, Karen mentioned we're going to start small groups this coming week actually. So uh, starting Wednesday, we're going to jump right in. Uh, we're doing, like, like with the whole COVID reality thing, we obviously have to take precautions with small group type stuff, gathering together social distancing, all that kind of thing. So we're going to be gathering here at the church on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Um, so come out and be a part of this. We've got the chairs separated, uh, obviously, um, given plenty of distancing. We do all the typical, um, you know, uh, sanitizing, everything like that. So it's going to be as safe as we can possibly make it. I promise you it'll be probably safer than Publix or Walmart or wherever else you're hypocritically going to and not coming to church. Another awkward pause, right? <laughs> All right, so moving on from that. I want to jump in by talking about a guy named Edward T. Hall. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Edward T. Hall? So he was the uh, developer or discoverer or um, he, he was an anthropologist in the 60s, 50s and 60s, uh, an American anthropologist. And he dis discovered this connection between relationship and space, right? Not outer space, but just space in general. So he called this thing proxemics. So what's really interesting is you see all these guys who develop or they find these things and they become famous for it, even though he's not super famous. Most of you guys don't know him. But they become famous and they discovered things that were always true, just nobody had kind of put it into, you know, put it into a way we could understand it really well. And so Edward T. Hall did that. He put this thing into context in a way that helped people understand how relationships and how communities and how cultures connect one another based on space. And so it's really fascinating. So I'm going to put a slide up here and just talk about the four spaces that he defined. So um, here's kind of an example. So you, you look up here and here's public space. Maybe we're going to put it up there. We, do we have it? The picture? Another awkward pause. There we go. Go ahead and put the picture up. There we go. Okay, so I just wanna, the reason why I'm doing this is because this is really important to understand. So this is how we operate. Over here on the left-hand side is you. That's self, right? And so um, the first space that you kind of see is social space. And social space is kind of this, um, uh, sorry, public space. And so public space is kind of this big open space. It's connected, it, it's connected in uh, distance-wise. It's connected at least by 12 feet. So like, like right now, you guys are in a public space, right? So the interesting thing is you are all closer, some of you guys because you're family, uh, and without social distancing, this would be even more true, but you would be closer to one another than 12 feet, right? So how does that work? And the answer is you're 12 feet away from me, 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm the kind of the focus of the public event right now. You know, the worship team was before. And so, so I'm the one talking. And so as long as I'm 12 feet away from you, you're okay in this public space. You can feel safe. You don't, it, it's not too weird. Even if you don't know a whole lot of people in the room, you're, you're kind of okay with that. Um, one example of this just in culturally is um, being in a space like, for example, being an Alabama football fan. That's, that's a space, right? That's maybe not a physical space in, unless you're at the arena. But, uh, but it's, a, it's a space. And so culturally, that's kind of how we think about things. The next one is a social space. And so we share in this social space this opportunity for a snapshot. So we get a little bit closer um, in terms of how we connect. So, for, for example, this, if you go to a coffee house, this would be like getting to know the barista at the coffee house, right, or mul- multiple baristas. Like, I, I do that. I love, there's a coffee house I go to, and I love hanging out there, and I know all the people there for the most part by name. I don't know a whole lot of details about them. I know some, um, but that's kind of a social space, and that's separated, and again, distance-wise, the social space is about 4 to 12 um, four to 12 feet. And so it's helpful to do things like putting your best foot forward. You kinda, you're kind of giving people a snapshot of what it would look like to get to know one another a little more deeply, right? So you kind of see how space works. And if you, if you watch this, it's really fascinating. Uh, Karen and I have done teen uh, ministry, uh, youth ministry a lot, some children's ministry, and kids do this as well. You know, like you've got kids when they're really little, they don't know what personal space is. They'll make eye contact with you way too long when they don't know you. You know what I'm talking about? Like on an airplane, they'll turn around if, you're, if they're in the seat in front of you and they'll just stare at you like, you are so fascinating right now. <laughs> and you're like, this, I know this is a baby, but you're making me feel super awkward right now. So turn around and do whatever it was you're going to do, right? Because we don't like that. That's part of the social space. We feel like when somebody pushes too far into it, they're violating it. So the next one is... Um, Sorry, next one is personal space. So personal space is where we share private experiences, thoughts. Um, so like that's basically like a good friendship that you kind of connected with somebody. You pick up where you left off. They know some things about you. Um, they're pretty close but not super close because the last one is what we would call intimate space. And intimate space is that's a place like uh, a marriage or the best of friends. This is a space where, and it's typically, a, by, it's separated by anywhere from zero to 18 inches of this intimate space. So let's talk about, real quick, zero inches. <laughs> that's about as intimate as, as it gets, right? Like if I was any closer, I'd be on the other side of you. You know what I'm talking That's pretty close, right? So, so, but friendships are, the whole point behind this, it's allowing people into the place of vulnerability. So one way to think about it is, you know, whether it's a physical in a marriage, it's a physical sense of nakedness. In other words, I'm naked before them and I'm not ashamed. Right? That doesn't mean I'm, you know, I've got a, a Greek God body. You know, it just means that they know me well enough that they love me in spite of any flaws that might be there. Um, not that I have any. I'm just saying if there were, they, they would still love me. Karen would still love me that way. So, so this is the picture of this intimate space, right? In a friendship, it would be being naked in terms of being vulnerable. Because if you have a friendship where you guys get naked together, we really need to talk about some limitations on intimate space in that arena, right? So there's... Anyway, some caveats. <laughs> but if you have this concept of intimate space, when you develop that kind of friendship, and one, one thing you find is you probably won't have very many of those kind of friendships because you don't want everybody knowing everything, right? But somebody needs to know everything besides you, and that's kind of some of the things we're going to talk about. But it's really interesting. Um, there's a natural comfort level for physical proximity. In other words, like, again, if we're in this, if, in this public space, and as long as I'm connected, um, I'm, as long as I'm the 
kind of the center of attention while we're talking and while we're connecting, that's okay. You can literally sit right on top of each other. And even in America, we'll do this. But in other countries, they'll do it even more because their they're, they're space is sometimes a little bit closer. But it's fascinating that the moment the person quits speaking and you realize how close you're sitting to people you don't know, you will find a way to make more room. It's fascinating how it works, and it always works this way. So it, anyway, it's really interesting how, how it all kind of works. There's several different ways to look at it. One example is, um, think about, I mentioned football fo- before, in a physical space, um, you're in an arena, so you could have seventy to 100,000 people sitting right next to each other because they sit you tight, right? You can be right next to somebody you don't know, but as long as you're focusing on what's happening down there, and that's more than 12 feet away from you, you're comfortable. You can do this at a concert, you know, something like this, a lecture um, in school. You can sit right next to each other. It's fine as long as the other person is distance. Um, so that's an example of the public space. And then, you know, the, uh, uh, if you move down into um, social space, that would be kind of like connecting down uh, with, you know, down on the field with everybody that's on the field. Like, you know, you're kind of creating some snapshots. You're getting to know some people, right? Maybe you don't know everybody on the team intimately, but you know most everybody on the team. So the personal space would then be like the 11 people who are on the field. Like, you know their names. You've probably met most of their families. You're, you know, you're close enough. You've had some challenges together. You've had to work through some stuff together. So you've, you're pretty tight. And then the intimate space would be um, the quarterback and the center because about every one to two minutes, he's touching the other guy on the butt, and they're okay with it. I don't know where that came from, but somehow (laughs) that turned out to be okay. I'll bet you he knows that guy pretty well is kind of what I'm saying. So that's kind of a picture of it. So, again, there's lots of examples, but that's kind of putting it in, in perspective. So you see this scripturally, and I was mentioning before, this guy, Edward T. Hall, he came up with this idea. What he didn't know was this was thousands and thousands of years old, right? This has been developed, and you see pictures of this throughout Scripture. And so let me just give you some examples in the Old Testament. So the public space would be like the temple, festivals, the social space. This is the Old, Old Testament scenario. The social space would be the synagogue. Personal space would be family life. Uh, the intimate space, of course, would be husband and wife, and in the perspective of the Old Testament, a friendship like Jonathan and David. The Bible says they had a friendship that was even beyond the friendship of, of women. In other words, it, wasn't, it was so deep that they kind of almost had a heart connection. So it's really interesting. And then in the New Testament, you see the same thing. You see the public space would be Jesus in the crowd. So he would speak, and there would be sometimes thousands of people sitting right next to each other hearing him talk, but it was a public scenario, public space. Social space would be more like Jesus in the 72 or oftentimes when they would attend a wedding. There would be lots of people there. They were closer than, you know, the public space, but not quite as close as personal space. And then the personal space, of course, would be Jesus and his disciples, the 12. So that's usually about the number for a personal space that makes it comfortable. Um, And then, of course, intimate space would be Jesus with, you know, the three, Peter, James, and John. Those were the the guys who were closest to him. So... um, Kind of what we're going after as we launch small groups is to help us understand how spaces work, understanding that small groups are actually personal spaces. So small groups, you know, like what we do on a Sunday morning is more of a public space, and it's helpful and it's necessary. Oftentimes this is where, you know, theology and and culture is, is kind of formulated and built values and perspective and vision and direction oftentimes happen in a pub, more of a public space type setting. But the personal space where you gather with about 10 to 12 people or a few more or a few less, there's something about that that brings the best case scenario for life change. 
So small groups, one reason why we do small groups, we're a church of small groups, not just that we do them, we want to build a culture around everyone gathering together in these personal spaces. Not because it's just a nice thing to do or it promotes something that we're doing as a church, but because this is the way God designed us to best grow is in these places where we have personal space. And and part of the reason why, remember like again, if you're with 11 guys on the field, running plays together. Um, What happens when they don't run the play correctly? Well, you have a conversation around that. What happens when one guy comes on the field with an attitude that's going to be detrimental to the whole rest of the team? Well, then the team has a talk with him, right? And so you have these conversations, these challenges. There's an invitation that if you're part of that team, man, it's it's an important place to be. You recognize that even though you might be different than the quarterback or the tight end or whatever, whatever your role is, is important important, vastly important to the overall win of the team, right? So personal space becomes really, really important. And and so you see this picture in Jesus. I just want to give you a picture of this when we mention Jesus and his disciples. So this is Mark chapter 4. So I am going to throw some Bible at you, so if you're ready for it, not nearly as much as last week. Mark chapter 4, this is uh, 1 through 3 and then verse 10. So it's simple. It says, Jesus began to teach by the lake. So that's the crowd, right? The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat, he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and his, in his teaching he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and he goes into this whole diatribe about the, the sower, right? So we, we heard that preached, I'm sure, or, or read it before. And then he skipped down to Mark chapter, uh, or verse 10, this is what it says. It says, when he was alone, so when he came away from the public space, And they went into the personal space. This is what happened. He says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And then the story goes on, and Jesus explains the the parables in detail. And he says, this is what that means. This is what's valuable about this. You see also invitation and challenge happening in this context. So often we've been, we've told, you know, we've been told, okay, don't challenge or correct people publicly. Always do that privately. Only Jesus didn't do that. Right? So Jesus, Jesus actually created an invitation in this personal space where he said, come and be a part of me. Right? Peter, in the story where Peter um, declares and recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, he says it, and, and Jesus says, um, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but my Father in heaven. And so then he invites him to be part of the family. He invites him into that intimate space with him. Right? And so he invites him in, and just a few scriptures later, Jesus is talking about going to the cross, and Peter doesn't like that idea, and so he challenges and says, no, Lord, you shouldn't do that. That's not what you ought to do. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then Jesus rebukes him openly in front of the others, so another, and basically in front of the 12 people. He had invited him in in front of the 12, but he also challenged and rebuked him in front of the 12. And what he said was, he said, you, you're, you're missing the point, right? You, you, you've got an idea and a way of thinking that is not God's way of thinking. And I want to correct that and adjust that, and he did it in a really challenging way. But that was part of the connection in this personal space, having relationships to the point where you have invitation, where you're being invited deeper into the things of God, right? Deeper into relationships, deeper into a place where there's trust, where you can become vulnerable and also be safe at the same time, right? And it also, one of the biggest things it does is it creates an avenue for your growth. 
both emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all of these different arenas, you will grow in this personal space better than any other place outside of the intimate space, right? And so the danger of intimate space is, the danger of any of these spaces, is they can be unhealthy spaces. But what's nice about personal space is typically it's, there's, just, there's few enough people where you can be vulnerable, right? And you can put, kind of put yourself out there and you can dis- discover very quickly whether that personal space is actually a healthy space for you. The only challenge with that is if you've never been in healthy relationships, you're going to need help to even know what a healthy relationship looks like. And one of the things that it comes with, it always comes with both, both invitation and challenge. If you, if you lean in, because this is what Jesus did. This is how he modeled it and he patterned it. If you have all challenge, you will feel, you'll never feel like you can accomplish anything, right? If all you ever, if you take this in perspective of all the rules and regulations of the kingdom, the laws, you must do this. If you're going to be a believer, this is what you must look like, right? So what happens when you don't live up to that standard? The good news is, in grace and in the gospel, Jesus lived up to that, to that standard for us on our behalf, right? And it allows for us, when we come into the kingdom, for our hearts to be changed on the inside. And it creates now a way for us to walk in the fullness of the inheritance that God has for us in every arena. And maturity, what maturity does is it creates room for you to receive the inheritance that God has for you. There's so many things God wants for you to have in healthy relationships. If, if, if you've been in relationships that have been very broken, where it's mostly challenging or all challenging, and there was never any invitation, you're just not going to want to do it because why would you? All you ever do is get beat up. But let's flip that and say that you are part of a group that's also un- unhealthy on the other extreme where all ever, people ever do is just accept you no matter what. Now, I'm not saying they, they love you and accept you, and, and that's a good thing, right? But they don't ever try to challenge you. They don't ever bring to your attention where you might be missing it, where you might not be hitting the mark, where you might not be walking in the fullness of the inheritance, where maybe God has something for your life and because of some behavioral challenges or patterns, you're not stepping fully into it, right? So if you're in that place where we're just going to love one another and never challenge one another, that's not scriptural and it's not healthy either. So you need, you need these personal relationships, what small groups do. You need personal relationship where there's both, both invitation and challenge. And what comes from that is two things. It comes support, right? When you need, when you need somebody to help, there's support there. Com- they gather around you and they lift you up. And there's also accountability. Grace-filled, biblical accountability is what comes out of that. And there's a huge difference when you, when you talk about accountability. Oftentimes it comes back to that challenge things where people are like, I'm watching you, and somehow I'm watching you as accountability. But that's not biblical accountability. Biblical accountability is I'm watching out for you, right? Because what will happen is sometimes we fall into patterns or we step into arenas or some, you know, our hurt rises to the top and we begin to, we begin to walk in behaviors that are not com, um, congruent with who God says we are, right? And so when that happens, this would be the difference. Like you, if your kid does that, what you would say to him is you say, hey, buddy, you can't do that because that's not who you are, right? That's the right way to call out in someone the inheritance that God has for them. That's that invitation and challenge in a proper way. The wrong way, if you flip that, would be something like this. You are always like this. You're just like father, mother, whatever, right? I can't, you're such a, and, and they, what they're trying to do is they're trying to give you a, a, a negative identity 
based on your behavior. Now, don't get me wrong. If you keep behaving a certain way, at some point it's going to be difficult to tell the difference between your behavior and who you are. But that's not how God sees you. God sees you how he created you and what you are supposed to walk in in the fullness of your inheritance. And so he has a process to draw that out of your life. And if you don't participate in that, if you choose to not be part of community, there's a big part of your life, a big part of your inheritance that you will never fully walk in. But that's not God's intention. So um, accountability and support are super helpful. Invitation and challenging is another way to put that. So let me just read you a scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Psalm 68.6, it says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Let me read it again. God sets the lonely in families. So here's God's intention. If you are alone because of this broken world we live in, and it is, it's very broken. If you are alone, God's intention for you is to set you in a family. So ultimately, ideally, that would be your family of record, the family that you were born into. But let's be honest, those families are not always the healthiest of families, right? And, and again, some of that is their own fault. Some of that is because of hurt and damage that occurred to them. So it's passed down from generation to generation, and often it gets worse, not better. And so what happens is someone has an encounter with God they discover who they're supposed to be. They discover what the mark is. You know, sin is missing the mark, and hitting the mark is God's intention for your life. So relationship would be healthy and whole. It would not be drama all the time. It would not be brokenness all the time, even though that's what television and, and the media portrays on a regular basis. It makes it out to be, because it's so, it's so common to be broken, that what we've now done is turn broken into the identity. Does that make sense? And so in other words, it's like, well, this is just the way I am because everybody's like that. But think about that for a second. If you can say that, everybody's like that, that absolves you from any personal responsibility to be transformed, doesn't it? You just, what you do is you become a victim. You're like, it's not my fault. My dad did it. My mom did it to me. It's because of where I was born. It was. Listen, I, don't get me wrong. We all have challenges in our life, and we, every single one of us, make excuses as to why we can't step into a greater realm. But God takes all that away with the cross. <laughs> God removes every bit of victim mentality with the cross, because what He's saying is, if, you know, there's this thing in progressive, what, what quote unquote, progressive Christianity, that says, you know. Um, what, what happened to Jesus on the cross was cosmic child abuse, right? That God allowed, would allow that to happen to his son. And the reason why they say that is because progressive Christians don't believe in original sin, ultimately. They believe that the, the problem isn't your sin that separates you from God. The problem is really the shame that you feel about sin so you don't recognize who you truly are. Therefore, that's what actually, if you could realize who you are, then you could, you'd be okay. But that's not true at all. It's not biblical at all, right? The Bible says every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. Every single one of us, all of us like sheep, have gone astray seeking our own thing, doing our own thing. We ignore God. We want to we shake our fist at God and go, God, look at what you've created. Not act, we're, we're acting as if we didn't have a part in creating this mess. Right? We are like, you know what, Adam, it's Adam's fault. If I'd have been there, think of the arrogance that it takes to say, if I'd have been in Adam's spot, you know, I'd have done things differently. No, you wouldn't have. And you know how I know that? Because at some point, 
you're born in sin, but at some point you affirm it with your actions and what you do. You choose selfishness over God every single time. But the good news is, God wants to come and take away that heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. He wants to create a place for you in a relationship that says, you can be with me, you can walk with me, you can be healthy and whole. So what does that look like for families? What does that look like for communities? And the answer is, when someone makes a choice for God and begins to become whole in their own right, they now create a doorway for everyone in their community to come through. It's still those people's choice, whether they're willing to come through, but you, because of the transformation in you, your life, can point the way for other people to health and wholeness. It's a beautiful thing. So God wants to set us in families, but the understanding eventually is that we would be in healthy, whole families. Does that make sense? So look at that picture again. He sets the lonely in families, and this is what it looks like when he does that. He leads out the prisoners with singing. In other words, if you're not part of community, if you're not part of what God says is healthy, beautiful family, this personal space where you have real relationship with people, authentic relationship, then he says you're like a prisoner inside a prison. You're locked up and you don't have freedom. There's something about these relationships that create freedom. Look at what happens next in this verse. It says, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So what does that look like? That looks like someone who says, I refuse to be part of community. I'm not going to do it. I'm different. People don't understand me. Sound familiar? We all say stuff like that. But it's what it really is. They're excuses for us not finding or choosing wholeness because it is an ugly road to go down sometimes. I don't like it. When when things come up and it it gets exposed, what what do I want to do? Because I don't understand God's goodness and his love for me, I feel ashamed and I want to press that down and hide it away, and I never want to talk about it. Why is it that when you find common, this is common, I, I, we've been doing this for 30-something years in ministry and praying for people who've come through very broken, broken scenarios. Why is it that people wait so long to talk about the fact that they were sexually abused? Why is that? And, and even if it, they did nothing, they were little, they were kids when it happened, they had nothing to do with what happened to them. Why? Because if the enemy can put shame on people, then what will happen is somewhere inside of them, they say something like, you know, the enemy tells them something like, you deserve this. You brought this on yourself. This is your lot in life. There's nothing to be done about it. And none of those things are true, right? And so shame will keep us away because we're like, oh, this happened to me and it's bad. Therefore, it's my identity. And see, what God's trying to do, and part of what he tries to do with relationships is he tries to challenge you to come out of a false identity into the identity that he has created for you, right? So what does that look like? It looks like when you're around people, people, uh, this has been my experience in small groups here at DCF and these groups everywhere I've been as believers. They will say, I I know because this has drawn me out and brought wholeness in my life where it wasn't. They'll say things like, Dave, you know what I love about you? This is amazing about you. And they'll call something out that feels in my own life distant, right? Maybe even barely there. Sometimes it even surprises me. It's like, really? That's, you see that. And what they're doing is they're looking at you with the potential that God has in, in your life. And that's part of what healthy groups, these personal, these relationships can actually do. But it, it's often painful. That's why there has to be invitation as well as challenge. And lots of invitation. Man, we love you. We're so glad you're here. You're, you're so broken, it's not even funny, right? 
But we love you. Even in your brokenness, we love you. You know, maybe stop poking people in the eye when they're trying to help you. That would help the process, right? But we love you. And we want you, we want you here. And I love it when people discover this at DCF. They'll say, man, if you knew what I've done. I'm like, if you knew what I've done, and I'm your pastor. Oof. I don't know, man. One of two things. You'd be like, I'm never going to trust God, or I'm going to trust God fully, because if God can change that guy, right? And that's the point. The point is that I'm good or bad. The point is that what God has done inside me has released that. So it's helpful. So let me just go through four areas of relationship as we kind of get ready to wrap this up. These are arenas in relationship. This is helpful for us to understand how this process now works in the way God designed us to walk in these groups. So the first one is the public arena. And so I'm going to go through these, the mass, the blind spot, the potential. But let's start with the public arena. And, and the phrase for this is, I know and you know. So right now, there are things that you know about me. If you don't know me personally at all, just by me standing here talking in this public arena, you can tell how funny I am, how good looking. All these things just come to mind, I'm sure, as soon as you see this. <laughs> so there's the public me, the idea that I want it to be, right? Maybe <laughs> that's a better way to put it. And, uh, and the question in this one is, I need people, or the statement is, I need people who can really know me. So I need people who will move past this public arena and entertain relationship with me so we can go deeper, right? 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In other words, there are things that I protect you from. I'm not going to let my baggage out, right, for everybody to see. That's just kind of wisdom. And anybody who does it typically makes you very uncomfortable. So the second arena is the mask. This is I know, but you don't know. So that goes back to that place where I need people who will protect me. So I need to be in a group that when you discover something about me that I've been hiding for good reason, you don't get rid of me, right? You say, hey, wow, that's a tough one. But God's bigger than all that. And Karen mentioned that during, you know, during the transition time, that God's bigger than all those things, right? He's more powerful. What a beautiful name it is as we're singing the worship. It's a powerful name to change and to transform your life. But you have to participate in it. And what groups do, what, what these, this personal space does, is it creates a place where I can, I can know, even though I'm hiding something, I begin to get to the place where I believe that it's a safe place for me to, to get a little bit more vulnerable. And that takes us to the next place, the blind spot. That's I don't know, but you know. So this is really interesting because if you're ever in a group, you, and, and here's the biggest danger in this scenario, is in this scenario, you know, like, like I'm up here, you know, we're in a personal space, and I begin to talk, and you're like, I, I see this about Dave, but I don't think he knows that about himself. Now, what would you do about that, right? Because that's really challenging. You're like, hey, Dave, I don't know if you know this, but you're not quite as good looking as you think you are, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> so when you, when you kind of go over, when you touch on that subject, there's potential for hurt, for fear, for withdrawal. There's a lot of things. We had a friend says, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll go there, you know, wherever there he is, we'll go there in that situation. And he goes, and then they just go dark for three weeks. Like, they don't come to group. You know, you know, no, no connection for coffee, don't see them at church. Why? Because that thing came up and the tendency is to feel ashamed and fearful and, and because it's a blind spot that came, came out. But here's the thing, I need people who will be honest with me. And you won't find that outside of a group that loves you, that, that personal group that, that is healthy and whole, that will love you past your foolishness, right? And go, listen, I don't know if you see this, but sometimes you can be abrupt. Wow, I, I didn't realize that. Because here's what happens. When you, when you can say that in love, 
people hear it in love, what happens is they go, why am I doing that? Because that's not who God says I am, right? So they, begin to, they get to begin to explore in their own persona, their own life, their own soul, their own whatever, the brokenness that God's trying to release them from. And that's what you do in a group together, to build enough relationship to be able to cross that bridge in trust, right? And so the last one is um, the potential. And this was, this was my favorite. I don't know and you don't know, <laughs> right? And, and the reason why we need this in relationship is because I need people who will grow me. I need people who will help me discover who I am in God. I need that. I need people who go, you know, I don't know if you know, like right now, right? I, I feel like I'm, I'm in a place where I've grown in some maturity. I'm healthy in many, many areas. And, and what I love is I love people who gather around me, get past my title position, all that silliness, and just say, you know what? I see this in you, Dave. I see God could do this in you because I think this is in you, in you to do. Maybe it's, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? I could see that in you, right? I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do. I'm just using that as an example. But my point is, is it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. For some people, you might say, I could see you having a relationship that lasts longer than six weeks. Maybe that's a miracle for you because you come from such a broken place. I see you in a place where you could potentially hear the voice of God and it won't be condemning to you. That you could see your life full of hope instead of brokenness and and despair. I, I believe that for you. I can actually see that. Can you see that? Because all of a sudden now that came because we just got together. See how it works? So how do you, how do you thwart that? The, Psalm 68 goes, back, goes after that in such a big way. And it's just so powerful. It says uh, God wants to set you in this family. He wants to set you into this personal relationship space to create the best possible scenario for you to come through into wholeness, into health, and into the fullness of the inheritance that God has for your life. That's the design behind small groups. That's the design behind personal space. Right? The reason we just do per, uh, small groups as a church and emphasize it is to help facilitate what God is trying to do in all of us naturally. But oftentimes in our culture, we get too busy. We won't make the intentional commitment. We, we got Wednesday. It's coming up on Wednesday night. And I, some, of the, some of you guys, when I said it, maybe online as well, you're like, oh, man, I'm so busy right now. Really? Doing what? It's COVID. Right? What are you doing? You've got so much time on your hands right now. Please. It ain't, it ain't about that. Right? Well, I'm fearful I'm going to get sick. Okay, maybe, and and listen, hear me when I say this, there are obviously people who don't need to come out and and be with us because of the risk that it poses. But can we just be honest that if you're going to Publix and you're going to the library and you're going to all these other places, your excuse for not showing up on a Wednesday night for small group is pretty, pretty minimal, right, wouldn't you say? Another awkward silence on my behalf. (laughs) Why do I say this? Because if we can push past this, And again, if you've got a legitimate reason you can't be in a small group, more power to you. But stop hiding behind the things that God's trying to bring you into to bring you into fullness. Because it takes some courage to do that. I remember the first time I went to church, I was scared to death. And I'm like, what do I got to be scared of? There's a bunch of Christians. They're all a bunch of, you know, milk toast, easy, you know, so weak and pitiful. I could probably kill them all easily, right? I didn't actually think that, but I'm just saying that's kind of the perspective, right? And I'm like, but why was, I, why was I afraid? Because somewhere instinctively I knew that I was about to take an adventure into potentially opening up what I've been, what's been hurting me. 
and it was fearful, and rightfully so. But what I discovered, thank God, was when I took that chance, that it paid off royally. And it opened the door for me to find wholeness in so many areas. I'm telling you, so many areas. I think that's telling me it's time for me to stop. (laughs) I'm trying to be mindful of the time. So let me do this. Let me close with this. There's a beautiful picture, again, in this this psalm, where it says God wants to set you in in families. And he says, when you find this, it's like prisoners coming out and singing. It's It's a visual picture that's on purpose. When this happens... You're going to come out into something beautiful and joy, and there's going to be a place in your life that you discover that you never thought you could have. And it's one of the most glorious things in the world. But the flip side of that is just as challenging. And let me go back and read it. The flip side of it is just as challenging. It says, if you don't, then what's happening, you're in a sun-scorched land. What's the picture? The picture is you're out there alone, you're exposed. We forget that. We think, here's what happens. And hear this as we close this this message. We think if I withdraw and if I pull back and if I don't put myself out there, that I'm not exposed. Isn't that the lie that we hear? If If I don't do it, then I'm not going to expose myself. But the Bible tells us that's exactly the opposite of what happens. That your exposure comes not into walking into a healthy group, but in not being in community at all. That's the greatest exposure at all. And what will happen eventually is it will suck the life of you. You will thirst to death. There's a built-in longing for what God intended in relationship with people. And if you don't have it, you will die from exposure. So let me, let me say it this way. Remember the space we talked about? What's the, the word that's been going around for the last year? Social distancing, right? What's the space? The space is six feet apart, right? Go back to personal space. There's something about personal space. It's between 18 inches. What was it? Four feet? So think about if you were the enemy and you had a strategy to destroy people and you knew that people needed to be between 18 inches and four feet apart on a regular basis to be healthy in a culture and in a community, what would you do? You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a thousand feet apart, does it? Just six feet is enough. (laughs) So there's a strategy of the enemy to isolate us and withdraw us. Now, again, I'm not saying don't take precautions. I do as well. Nothing wrong with that. But we can't let the excuses that the enemy would allow us to use to not expose ourselves into healthy community to keep us from walking in the inheritance that God has for us. So let me say this. That's a choice you have to make. No one can make it for you. We can invite all day long. My wife does a phenomenal job. Anytime she's connecting with people, she's never met a stranger. We all talk about this. If you know Karen, she's never met a stranger, and I love it. She will pray with people, and I'm like, how did she get there so fast? (laughs) She's like praying about deep things, but part of it's the prophetic thing, but here's my point. She does this thing, not just naturally, but spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically, she pivots to let people in. She knows the value and she loves people so much, she longs to invite you in. If you're ever in a group with Karen and someone is standing outside the group, she will make you uncomfortable sometimes by inviting that person into the group before you're ready for that person to be in the group. We need people like Karen. We need everybody to be like Karen, (laughs) right? Why? Because that's what Jesus is like. God's saying there are people that are outside that for us who are walking in some of this, 
They don't know what we know. They don't feel the joy and the thankfulness of being connected. They are alone, they're out in the desert, and they're dying from thirst, they're parched. So last question is, what does that relationship look like with you and God? Are you in the arena where you're watching God from a distance, a safe distance? Have you stepped down onto the field? We're actually beginning to engage and say, you know, I'd like to follow Jesus and find out a little bit more about whether his, his claims are true, whether he's actually who he says he is. Are you ready to step into that personal place, if you've already gone there, into that, that, you know, that even more personal place where it's you know, just a few of you, 12, 12 guys, where he's explaining, he's talking about, and then eventually, have you come to the place of intimacy with God? where you are between 0 and 18 inches with him. You're completely vulnerable. You're completely open. Let me say this. You cannot do that with God unless you believe he's good. And the Bible, thank God, the Bible teaches us that he is good. His grace, it means it's unmerited favor. It's not about you deserving it. It's about him giving it to you on purpose, so you could find health and wholeness and come into relationship with Him and enjoy everything He has for you. Amen? Karen, why don't you come up? We're so glad that you have joined us today and listened to our message. And um, we're going to be doing How God Speaks is going to be the small group. You guys, I am so excited about this um, time together. I just cannot wait. Um, I love that God declares himself as communicator. From the very beginning of the Bible, it said God spoke. And he said, let there be light. And can I tell you, he's been communicating before the world was formed, and he's still communicating now. And so what an awesome time to find ourselves getting to actually discover, maybe for the first time, how God speaks to us, or to continue growing in how God speaks to us and understand it more. And so, because God speaking to us is more than about just for us, it's for the people that are around us. And so, it's revealing his heart and his nature to one another. And so, um, we are excited about getting this and being a part of our spring small group. So, um, if you're going to be watching online um, and doing that, what I love is that you actually will be able to still be keeping pace and you're growing and hearing how God speaks continually. So, we want to say we love you guys. We hope you have a good week. If you need prayer this morning, if you're in-house, just stay and raise your hands. We'd love to come and pray for you. And if you're watching online, you can contact us through um, our website, and we will be in touch with you through our ministry team. We'd love to pray for you. I um, said it earlier, stand with you. And what is the Lord um, doing in your life right now, and where do you need breakthrough? Um, we love you guys, and we will see you next week. <laughs>